We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am so happy to be doing this right now. Once again, especially for you longtime listeners, rest assured I would not do it alone. I bring once again my good friend and yours, D2 Dolomite Dave Martinez. Welcome back, my friend. The Run ATL podcast returns to the airwaves. That's right. We're back in the studio, our little makeshift studio. It's, uh, you know, if the audio quality has gotten any better, it's because we, we've now populated it with a lot of boxes, a lot of cardboard boxes that kind of absorb sound waves, and it doesn't sound quite as echoey as it may have. It, we had to move some stuff around in order to get to fit in here. Maybe we should have done this all along. We've said in past episodes that we got thrown out of our studio. We converted it into a bit of a warehouse for our e-commerce and other operations during that time when our stores were shut down as we were kind of ramping back up. They said that we could come back. Here we are. I'm not so sure they cleaned this place up for us. No, I mean, it's it's not something that we want to, you know, kind of show off in pictures and and it's not instagrammable it does look like we were probably in the you know it looks like we're in a basement of some store sort of storage you know facility uh with all these boxes and shelving so well you're a glass half full kind of guy way to talk immediately about the sound quality perhaps improving even though the visual conditions have deteriorated greatly but you know what is also super stee wrong is we are coming out of the gate swinging with our featured guests for these conversations on the run atl podcast we went deep into the friendship network and we pulled out ben gray this is awesome yeah i mean i uh so i wasn't really familiar with ben until you know i think the first time i met him was shortly after uh you and ben did the beltline run mm-hmm. and he you know was a gm at, at a brookhaven store and we had him come in and he showed some slides and some and did a presentation as to what the beltline was at that point and what it was going to become and that was really uh interesting and then i ended up you know running with him at you know up in blue ridge with you and, and a couple of other friends and uh, and then I started following him and got to know a little bit of of his work, you know, professional work. And you know, I, I became a, a big fan uh, because you know I'm also a photographer. Although I would say we're definitely different leagues of photography. <laughs> um, he is definitely a, you know he's a photojournalist where I tend to be more on the editorial uh, side of uh, as far as a style, which means that for me I'm doing very more posed, you know, adjusting lighting and stuff, and it's about pretty colors and you know blue skies where Ben is more about reality and just capturing that moment. And he does that so well. And I'm jealous about that because to a certain extent, you know, historically speaking, you know, whether it's, you know, wartime photographers or, you know, protests and things like that, you're capturing a moment and that's, uh, that is historically important. And that's something that he does and something that he has a, a very good eye for something that I wish I could do. And at the same time, when these protests kind of, you know, started, there was that small part of me of like, I want to be a photojournalist, you know, I want to go out there and I want to take pictures. But at the same time, it's like, I have no business being out there and adding to the chaos and being another person out there that has nothing really to contribute and maybe a distraction and, um, and, you know, let the professionals do what they're supposed to do. They're going to capture those moments. And he, he's done a fantastic job. And some of those images I saw on his website, you know, just the emotion, uh, in a series of emotions, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, anger or sorrow and, and, and just, and pain that's all captured in his images. And that will, is being documented by him. And, uh, many other photographers are doing, uh, great work right now. Well, I guess if you can't be the photojournalist, having one on your podcast is the next best thing. Certainly having Ben on this, he'll touch on a number of things. He is an ultra runner. He is one of my favorite people to go trail running with. But for those of you who are not into that kind of thing, my goodness, do not tune out to D2's point. What he has been able to capture on behalf of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution recently is unbelievable in our off the record conversation he did mention how many times he had been tear gassed and what he had go through in order to get some of these pictures they are amazing 
you should go to bengray.com. You'll hear that theme in our conversation. You'll also hear us tell a fun story about how we got to know each other and how maybe someone who you wish would be a runner or a walker, maybe even do it with you, do not give up on them because sometimes that most unlikely person ends up being the person who picks it up eventually and then gets after it the most completely. Ben gives us a way to connect our fitness with so much that matters, including relationships, our work, and yes, even longevity, as D2 and I can very much appreciate. You're going to appreciate this conversation among friends with Ben Gray. We're going to bring it to you completely unscripted, and we're going to do it right after this brief message. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free three-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, walking, or any activity that requires you to be on your feet. Our 100% satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations. Simply return them. No problems, no hassles, no time limit. We want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals. Visit Big Peach Running Company today. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. You are in the midst of a treasure hunt for D2 and me as we get a chance to find the gold once again with a friend of ours. D2, how cool is this? Not right next to us given the current circumstances, but yet our friend Ben Gray here with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I met Ben a while back and uh, my first uh, time meeting him was actually on a on an ultra trail run um, up up in your neck of the woods, up in Blue Ridge. And uh, he's a photographer. I'm uh, kind of a photographer, nowhere near the league that he is, but a fan of his work. And uh, he's just a phenomenal runner and, and all around great guy. Indeed, that is true. Ben, friends of yours are here. And yes, as D2 said, fans of yours as well. How are you? I am doing awesome, guys. I appreciate the uh, the glowing introduction there. Great to talk to you guys. Uh, I wish we were sitting across from each other right now drinking a beer, but uh, that'll come later, maybe. It will. Please do not say maybe. Let's confirm that it will. Who knows when, but we'll look forward to that. And perhaps the next exchange that we do will be about finding dates and appropriate locations to do that. But as you know, and as D2 alluded, we've got plenty of our own history And at the same time, there is so much of your history that just fascinates me and I know would be interesting to others. D2 alluded to the ultra marathon, Ben Gray, but there is much more than that. For those of you who are like, oh man, another trail running or ultra running conversation, do not go anywhere. This will not disappoint. You can literally be tuning in for the first time with just your first walk around the block. I promise that you too will fall in love with Ben Gray. So Ben, now that we have this chance, even though it's not across the table from one another to connect, I first have to start with what might be really, really predictable because you and I and D2 have spent spent plenty of time together. You and I have known each other for quite some time. I don't doubt I'll get a chance to mention a few of those ways I've known you in history, but more currently, Olympic marathon trials this year was the first time I got a chance to lay eyes on you after you got back to these United States. Given how much time you've spent in the state of Georgia and in and around this great city of Atlanta, but then now coming back after some time being gone. What are some of your impressions about what's going on around here? What has changed since you left and what you're kind of excited about now that you've been back for a few months and kind of getting a chance to get reconnected with? Yeah, so um, certainly things have changed a lot. I've gone about four years um, over in Jerusalem um, and came back in January, late January. And um, I think probably, well, first let me say it was great seeing you. Of course, at the Olympic trials. That was a fantastic event. Indeed. Um, and fantastic to see happen in the city of Atlanta um, and to see the number of fans that came out to watch it. I mean, running to the store that morning um, and kind of just pretending like I was running the court. Well, I was kind of on the course, but pretending like I was part of the marathon and watching all the people cheering and everything made me feel like I was a superstar. So that was pretty awesome. Um, but uh, I think 
probably the biggest changes that I've seen. I mean, the, the, the most stark ones were some parts of the belt line, especially over near the uh, Crog Street Tunnel, where there was, you know, just gravel when I, uh, when I left. And now it's like businesses everywhere and people. And, you know, I was like, where the heck am I? I mean, you know, uh, you and I ran it um, way, way back when it was just, a little part of the East Side Trail was the only thing there, and we managed to find our way around uh, our best guess of what the whole course would be or the whole uh, route would be for it, and um, to see what it's changed into, to see the East Side or the West Side Trail now with the breweries over there and um, what was railroad tracks when I left that I would run on. Uh, those have been pretty uh, pretty astounding changes to see. Um, uh, I couldn't believe on uh, the East Side Trail the number of people on it that were out using it. I mean, it was like a traffic jam almost. So they need to finish the rest of the thing, so it kind of spread people out a little bit. Um, let's see, what else in Atlanta? Um, you know, it's hard for me to, uh, to say because we got back here and kind of right as we got settled in, this whole coronavirus thing happened. So uh, then all of a sudden the streets were empty and there was no traffic and... Uh, the city was very different because of that. So I don't know, uh, you know, my other impressions of it, it, it kind of feels like home and then it kind of feels uh, very, very foreign and different at the same time. Well, I think that's true for all of us, especially those of us who have been here a long time when we think about things like traffic or what yeah. has changed as a yeah. result of that virus. For those of you who heard Ben reference the Beltline in our trip, it has been a number of years ago. We'll see if we can't pull it out of the archives. We'll put it in our show notes, but Ben, invited me and a couple of others on an assignment we mentioned in the intro, Ben's time with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We'll get into some of the things that he's been covering, but that particular assignment, I believe he dreamed up to put both his professional mm -hmm. obsession and his personal passion of running together. It was before the Beltline was a paved surface, maybe anywhere other than a few very brief locations. Yeah. We did the entire thing that day so it would be preserved for the city of what it looked like before the Beltline started. And now, Ben, like you said, even in just four years, how much progress can be made? Obviously, still much to do. But my goodness, if we think about what things would look like 25 years after you and I and a couple of friends took that jaunt, it is going to be unbelievable. Totally. What, would, what can you remember from that day that mm -hmm. you might have thought, could this really happen? Is the Beltline really going to be the vision that I've heard? Or did you know all along that four years from now, six years, maybe two decades from now, this is absolutely going to be the game changer for the city that it was supposedly indicated to be? Well, so they, you know, they had the, just that one section of the East Side Trail over around uh, what's now Pont City Market was all that was done um, when we ran it. And, you know, so I, there was a lot of energy around that area. Um, so in that respect, it seemed like this is something they could do, but, you know, man, when you'd get on the West side and how overgrown things were and, um, just how remote it felt, it didn't really seem like, uh, it, it could be done. You know, it seemed like it was really a long shot. Um, but I'm, you know, they've really, it seems to me, been kind of consistently plugging along and and opening new sections and, and working on uh, the sections that haven't been open yet. Um, so I think I, I think I was hopeful, maybe aspirational that they could do it back then, but I don't know that I fully believed it. Um, you know, I always uh, kind of a little bit of a pessimist with those sorts of things and figure something, there's going to be some monkey in the monkey wrench in there somewhere that's going to uh, prevent it from happening. But um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how much of it's been done. Well, and who knows how long this particular time you'll have in Atlanta, but it was probably even more exciting to come back 48 months later, I would think, and see how much has changed as opposed to those yeah. of us that are looking at it maybe on a week by week or month by month basis. What do you believe will be something now that you've seen that people can appreciate that maybe you didn't, that now from being gone for a certain period of time that you're back and you're like, wow, I forgot how cool this was, or I maybe didn't fully appreciate it when I had been here previously, but man, am I glad to be back in this city because of this particular consideration. Well, I think the number of, you know, the number of uh, like microbrews there are here is, is pretty astounding. 
Um, there just seems to be a lot of, of energy, um, a lot more outdoor activities going on. Um, it's just a lot more vibrant, I think, uh, than it was when I left. I mean, it was moving that direction for sure. Um, but it didn't feel like it had quite the energy um, yet. And I think it, it, well, in the in the month or so before the coronavirus hit, it was really feeling like it did um, when I came back. So I think that's that's probably it. I mean, the number of places, I mean, Pot City Market was kind of the, the first of those types of uh, kind of centers for people to gather and restaurants and those sorts of things. But now there's so many other additional ones around the city. I, you know, I certainly haven't been able to explore all of them. Um, it's almost like there's too much to see now. Man, there is so much, and you mentioned that energy. And for those of you who do not maybe live or certainly at this point are not spending much time coming down into the city, there is that energy. I believe that's the case in so many communities around Atlanta. For those of you who perhaps haven't spent much time around or on the Beltline, make sure you check out episode 16 where we had the executive director for the Atlanta Beltline on Rob Bronner, and he touched on some of that vision that Ben now references as having come to life, perhaps even very, very recently. Ben, you mentioned a real cool part of your story recently, and that is being in Jerusalem. And I know yeah. you went there partially on assignment and partially being, you know, really with your spouse and family with an opportunity that your wife had. And yeah. I think about your skill set. And I think about that assignment and yet running may not have been the headline, but at the same time, you had to change who you were as a runner. Before we talk about that, yeah. let's talk about the assignment. What took you okay. to Jerusalem and tell yeah, us so, a little bit about that? Because where people can easily come down to the Beltline, most of us aren't going to be able to easily hear about Jerusalem unless it comes from you. True, true, true. Um, so I guess uh, 2014, 15... Um, my wife uh, went to seminary, um, became a deacon in the Lutheran Church, or was you know moving towards becoming a deacon in the Lutheran Church. Um, while I was a you know photographer my whole career, newspaper photographer, Adrian had done several things. Uh, started off in journalism. Um, she's been a writer. You know, uh, she was a flight attendant for a little while. Um, she also stayed home and homeschooled the kids. And kind of during the meat of my career at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, uh, she was at home, which freed me up to, to leave on a moment's notice to go cover bigger assignments, things like that. Um, so when she went to seminary, I said, you know, when you finish, you've been supporting my career up till now. So you figure out what you want to do and I'll, I'll follow you. Um, what happened was we, uh, she got a call to go to Jerusalem to be the communications coordinator for the Palestinian Lutheran church, um, small church, in uh, Jerusalem, in the West Bank, and in Jordan, um, that is, you know, holy, it's an Arab-Palestinian church. And uh, they were looking for, they wanted to have an American, an American English-speaking communicator to basically tell their story, tell what they were doing to the, the, the wider world, to the English-speaking world. Um, and uh, she applied for that. We got selected. Um, it was, it's officially a, a missionary position. With the Lutheran Church, so we were officially missionaries, but the Lutherans don't do missionaries the way I thought of them, and most people probably think of them. We weren't there to convert anybody. We weren't there to push our values or our religious beliefs or anything. Um, we were there at the behest of the Palestinian Lutheran Church, and we were there to do what they wanted us to do. So we were there just basically working for them um, and telling their story. So Adrian was the, the, the primary person there. She was the appointed person. She did all the writing and the website and the things like that, social media. And then I was the visual end of that. So I did the photos and the videos as well as uh, some work on my own. Well, you guys obviously make a powerful tandem. And I know this isn't something, and now that Adrian is in Europe and you're back here in Atlanta right. by design, I will reference one website that goes alongside my Strong recommendation that you check out bengray.com. That's G-R-A-Y.com. And while you're out there on that World Wide Web, check out the gray, same way it's spelled G-R-A-Y tones, the gray tones.com. That'll give you some sense of the work that Ben was doing in Jerusalem and in and around the Middle East. Very, very 
cool. But Ben, I remember one of our conversations while you were there that I said, well, how's the running going? What's that like? And I got the sense it was markedly different, man. Man, very, very, very different in, in all sorts of ways. Um, so, you know, from uh, just the climate, you know, it's uh, hot there. You're basically in the in a semi arid area, um, hot but fairly dry. Uh, so, not having humidity was awful nice. Um, <laughs> no rain from April to October, like not even a drop of rain. Um, but then from October to April, it when it rains, it just gully washer dumps. So uh, that was a little different. Um, let me back up for a second and say when we were when we were planning on going, um, everybody that we talked to said, mm, "I don't, I don't think you can run there. I don't think people run. I don't think you're gonna, you're not, you're gonna have to find something else to do," which I I didn't fully believe, but you know I didn't really know. I, like most Americans, we didn't know much of anything about um, the Middle East in general or uh, Jerusalem, Palestine, Israel in in particular. So I was kind of taking people's word for it, but I, you know, I'm also a little bit of a skeptic. So I got online and started poking around, um, and I found a running group called Right to Movement, and this is a group of Palestinian runners. Um, they uh, started a group just to train. Um, part of the reason for starting the group was so that women could run with them, because women couldn't run alone without getting harassed frequently. So they would run in groups, um, men and women together, um, and they started a marathon in Bethlehem. Now, because of the political situation, the separation wall, and checkpoints, you don't have enough, you don't have 26.2 miles in Bethlehem to run. So it's actually two laps. Um, and you run along the separation wall, you run through refugee camps, um, then do two laps to finish this marathon. That's now become an international marathon. Um, and it's one of the ways they use to kind of talk about their story um, and, and what their lives are like. So I kind of hooked up with this group, sent some emails. And they're like, oh, yeah, we run every Wednesday and Saturday. Come hang out. You know, you're welcome anytime. So I said, okay, I guess, uh, I guess I'll be able to get some running in. Um, so the group was great. They're generally, you know, a marathon for most of those guys is, is like, a, you know, the end goal. Um, and I was used to running a little bit more. So, you know, I'd usually go for a long run and then meet up with them for, a, you know, another uh, five or six miles on a Saturday morning um, and got to know a lot of those guys really well. And it's a group of expats and as well as Palestinians and it's men and it's women. Um, and it's all levels, people that walk, people that run, um, all different paces. So that, that was a, a great social um, end to the running. Um, you know, I mentioned the political situation over there. So it took me a while of, to kind of explore and find where I could run and be, feel comfortable running. Um, of course, around the city, I could run there. Um, I started finding, stumbling on some trails and uh, using my, uh, my Garmin watch, I'd get home and I'd you know, load, the, load the maps into the computer, um, have them upload. And eventually I started seeing how well this, this trail I was on would meet up with this other trail that I ran the other day and was able to put together some pretty long um, looped runs. So I had a, a few nice partial road, mostly trails, some deserts, some vineyards, some, you know, uh, uh, little valleys. Um, you know, running around there, you're, it's a very historic place. You know, I'd run through Karim, which if you read the Bible, that's where John the Baptist was born. Um, you know, you run past, you know, you might run right past uh, where Jesus was said to be crucified. You know, um, you're running past ruins of churches that are, you know, 1,800, 2,000 years old. Um, so that's a, a pretty cool, pretty intense uh, situation, you know, kind of just very different than running here. And, you, you know, if you're on a trail, you might see a, an old homestead that's 150 years old. So... Well, and how different is it? D2, of course, one of the times that we've run with Ben, the National Forest Folly, as you mentioned, up in Blue Ridge in the Chattahoochee National Forest. And yet, if we see a tree that is more than 100 years old, that seems like a big deal. And usually Ben would get his camera out. Now we're talking about things that are 1,800 years old. 
Yeah, that's 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 pretty impressive. I mean, it's it's uh, man, I think it's one of those things that you'd have to kind of be there to truly take it all in, right? I mean, that's it's it's hard to it's hard to fathom. Um, otherwise, and, and speaking of trees, uh, fig trees all over the place. And during fig season, I wouldn't carry any food with me. I carry my bottle of water, and I just pick figs along the way and eat them just right off the tree. Oh, amazing! Perfect, perfect trail food. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's what needs to be the case in those ultra marathons that uh, right. that we've shared. Instead of having to carry all that extra weight, we'd have been much better off if we'd have just had the fig trees along the way. And I think I it think also so. is a lesson for all of us. We're like, oh, we're not going to be able to run based on the conditions or based on what little we know about an area. Take heart from what Ben just indicated. And that was one, being a little bit of a skeptic and two, having no real idea but if it mattered as I knew it would to Ben to get those runs in, he was going to make it happen. My guess, Ben, you also made quite a few friends and learned yeah. a lot more about the area along the way. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so one of the, um, one of the places that I kind of stumbled on um, and ran through is a, it's an old Palestinian village on the edge of Jerusalem. Um, it's about 70 homes that are still partially standing. It was deep, depopulated, quote-unquote, uh, when the state of Israel was formed. And the homes were um, had holes blown in the roof so people couldn't move back into them. Um, so it, it's become a park. Um, but to, to come out of the city and then all of a sudden you're running through the ruins of all these old buildings, um, old homes, and thinking about people that live there. Um, first time I did it, I shot some pictures and posted them on Instagram. And uh, one of the guys I ran with said, that's where my family's from. That my, my grandmother lived in one of those houses. And to think, uh, you know, what a connection um, those people had, that he had to the land and that I had made a friend that actually had a, you know, historic family tie to that place that I kind of felt like I had discovered, but also was foreign and, and ancient feeling to me. It was really a, a, a neat thing to feel. Uh, but a powerful emotional thing too. Well, and for those of you who are thinking, man, so everywhere he goes, he's running, but he's also taking pictures. Yes, that is true. In fact, I believe, Ben, you may be the only guest we've ever had on this podcast who can claim that you've invented a word and given it a definition. I believe this is yours. The word, yep. my friends, is runographer. The definition is a noun. There's the pronunciation right there from the one who has termed that word, the linguist himself, the definition, an award-winning photojournalist who takes up ultra-distance running and uses his artistic eye to document the beautiful, strange, and humorous things he encounters. Photographs are shot with an iPhone, but are never filtered or edited. That's the definition, Ben. You are the original runographer. You know, you, you know, when I started doing that, so, you know, when I first, I've only been running for about 10 years, okay? I started right before I turned, uh, I was 49, so actually it's been 10 years, um, and I started specifically to run the Peachtree Road Race. Um, I'd, I'd run track in high school, hadn't run again since, um, but I was working a desk job, I was editing at the newspaper at the time, I wasn't out shooting and running around, you know, figuratively, Um so I decided, you know, got this wild hair and said, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to run and train myself and run the peach tree or run the peach tree. That'll be my first ever road race. Um, I hated running. I absolutely hated it. I used the couch to 5k app and, um, just, I mean, you, you know, run a minute, walk a minute. Those running minutes seemed like the, the longest time in my life. Um, <laughs> I was cursing, cursing them, but something kind of clicked when I got to where I could run about five miles and I could actually go somewhere. So then it was, it became an exploration. So it, it kind of took my mind off the, the discomfort of running and let me see new places and see new things. Um, one, because I was going different places and two, because I was going at a different speed. I wasn't in a car anymore. You know, I, I was, going at a pace where I could actually observe things, you know, see things that interested me, see how things interact differently than in a car. And that's when I started, you know, with my iPhone, I'd take it out and, and take pictures as a way to kind of share it with first, probably with Adrian and the kids, but then uh, started posting them on Instagram as runography um, and kind of came up with that idea that I could share these um, kind of hidden, but 
very much out in the open scenes and places that I find in Atlanta um, with everybody else. And uh, it, it seemed to take off and people seemed to enjoy them, enjoy them. So uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. And so sometimes my motivation for running would be I wanted to get out and make a picture. And sometimes my motivation for taking the picture was because I, I was out there wanting to be out running. So kind of was a, a good trade off and uh, something to keep my mind engaged in a different level while I was running long distances. Well, you mentioned that you didn't much, much care for running at the onset. And so here's the story I was hoping I could tell, and you've given me the perfect setup. So for those of you who I've had the good fortune of knowing or have perhaps tuned into what Big Peach Running Company has been doing for a number of years, my wife actually used to cut Ben's hair. And this was many, many years ago. When, and I first she, moved to Atlanta. when you first moved to yeah. Atlanta, and I remember coming in to see my wife and met this guy by the name of Ben Gray, who was a photographer, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and seemed like a nice enough guy, this pretty boy sitting in the chair, we'd exchange a few <laughs> words, and I thought, but this guy seems friendly enough, certainly incredibly handsome. And supposedly, from what both my wife and even all the haircuts. Well, it might have been. She does good work for sure. I am not indication of such. She doesn't have as much to work with, of course, when I'm in the chair. But then I would see this individual's name, sure enough, when I'm looking. At the time, there were real newspapers, and I'd be like, oh, Ben Gray. I remember him saying he took pictures. My, My wife had said that was the case. I guess it's true because he's getting a photo credit, if nothing else. And one night we had dinner. I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but you know, my son and your daughter were born within a week or so of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so you and my wife had this idea that we should get everybody together for dinner and see how it's going as parents. And so we drag our firstborns for both of us out. The four of us go have dinner off Buford Highway at a restaurant Peruvian. Matter of fact, you're right. Awesome. See, I remember some of this, but I remember the conversation wasn't about running at all. In fact, anytime I had a chance to talk a little bit about Big Peach Running Company, everybody, including my wife, seemed a little bit, you know, tuned (laughs) out and disinterested. So that was kind of the end of it. Of course, life gets busy. You end up having a second child. We have a second child. My wife stops cutting hair. You end up becoming this photojournalist with international acclaim. And we just kind of lose touch. All of a sudden I get a note one day, maybe five or six years later from Ben Mm -hmm. Gray. And I thought, oh, I remember that name from somewhere in my past. So we correspond and Ben asked me, are you still running? And I'm thinking that shows you to what degree we've stayed in touch. If he asked if I'm, of course I'm still running. I'm training for hundred milers. I like doing this six or seven days a week. I'm putting in as many miles as I can without eroding my family or ruining my business. So yes, I'm still running, but I'm thinking why in the world did he ask? He's just being friendly. And he comes back, he's like, oh, good. I've got my 50K coming up this weekend. Maybe we can get a run in some time. And I'm like, maybe this isn't the same Ben Gray that I saw in that chair as the pretty boy and certainly that I had dinner with because he could have cared less about running. And my goodness, that time was in between when you went from not liking it to many, many miles. And we've already said this isn't about trail or ultra running. But Ben, how quickly did you basically go from zero miles a week to being in shape to do marathon distance. Yeah, so uh, let me back up real quick before I do that and say, um, early on when your when your wife was cutting uh, my hair, we maybe met once you and I, and uh, I was in there one day and she mentioned something about you. You were out, uh, you know, you were out running the Western States 100. I said, "What is that?" She said, "Oh, it's this hundred mile trail race." And I said, oh, "What? A hundred miles? What does he eat?" Does he, where does he go to the bathroom? I'm, I don't even like to run that far. And of course, if you're an ultra runner, these are the questions that everybody asks you every time. I had the exact <laughs> same ones, and I thought you must be an absolute nut job to be out running something like that in the woods. And I think you, your wife probably agreed, and we moved on from there. So, so that's what I remembered when I started running and went, hey, I, you know what? That sounds kind of cool now. So I went from, um, I, so I trained did a couch to 5K and then a 5 to 10K and ran the Peachtree Road Race as my first, uh, first ever road race. A year later, I ran a marathon. Uh, the Atlanta Marathon was my first one. A year later, I ran a 50K. And a year later, I ran 100 miles. So, Talk about that? a ramp up. So That's literally within up. two and a half years, you went from zero to one zero zero. That's about two and a half, three years. Yep. Yep. That's about right. And obviously, I don't remember or perhaps had not yet been retold the time when I mentioned Western states. 
But for those of you who are like, man, I love full circle stories. Yes, I am so proud to admit I was one of Ben's pacers on his 100 mile race, Thunder Rock 100. I don't know how many memories you have from that, Ben. I have plenty of my own. And all I did was pace a little bit and crew for some of it. And yeah. yet you looked like the real deal and somebody who had been doing it for a long time. Now, well, for part of it. There's, there's sections I don't remember at all. I've only been uh, told later by uh, you and uh, and Kieran and, and uh, Jim, the other pacers. So. <laughs> well, you were asleep, literally sleepwalking during yeah. some of yeah. what I had to pace you with. So the fact that you right. blacked that out is both probably fair to understand and a good idea because it was not the same pretty boy I had seen in the chair all those years earlier. You were a bit right. of a wreck, but you rallied and obviously you finished strong. I know you know a lot about finishing strong and going to Jerusalem and now with your wife in Geneva, you're here with your two kids. You guys are living what some would say is a pretty non-traditional existence by being on two separate continents. And yet at the same time, from everything I can tell, it's working really, really well. Give us a sense outside of the running, outside of the fun stories and the things that we've had a chance to maybe see or even do together how you're making all of that happen. And the reason I'm asking is I believe there are so many lessons that we learn from running and walking and building our fitness routines and staying consistent with certain things that matter that probably play into these non-traditional, maybe even difficult circumstances. And now here you are as far away from your wife as you are with your kids back here in the city that you care for, but didn't necessarily plan to be back in right now. How is all that working? And are there any lessons that you would say apply to all of us in the lives that we're living? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, uh, you know, if not for the Rona, um, me and the kids would have spent the whole summer in Geneva. I would have been running in the Alps. You know, hanging out with my wife, drinking wine and eating cheese and dark chocolate and all that fun stuff. Um, so, you know, the, while we were going to be living apart for a little while, um, the plan was that we'd be seeing each other frequently. Of course, that has been uh, totally scuttled uh, with, with Corona. Um, and so, you know, I guess especially running ultras, running hundreds, um, or any running, you, you learn that you're capable of doing pretty hard things. Um, and also that, that it takes time, you know, uh, you can't, while I ramped up pretty quickly, the amount of work I did between, uh, not running and running a hundred miles is a, is a pretty phenomenal amount. And two and a half years, three years, that's a long time to build up to a goal. I mean, we, we tend to, want some immediate gratification and to do something and be done with it. Um, so knowing that I have the, the ability to, you know, build for that long and, and work for a much longer term goal certainly helps when, uh, when, when I know I'm not going to see Adrian for a while and, and the plan isn't going as it should. And, and speaking of, if you've ever run a marathon, heck, sometimes in a 10 K things don't go as you plan. You know, you wake up and your stomach's off, you know, you, uh, you don't get any sleep the night before a race because who knows, you just can't sleep, whatever it is, things, things go wrong. Things change during a run. You know, um, I showed up at a race one time, it, this was going to be a great run, it was a trail run, um, 39 K odd distance, but, but I was looking forward to it. Family decided they wanted to come with me. I said, great. Well, I'll hop in the car. So we get there, and, you know, I'm making sure the family's settled and everybody's in the car, everybody's ready to go. We get there, and I realize I forgot to pack my trail shoes. So I'm wearing a pair of blown-out road shoes and about to start this, uh, this trail race. Okay, I'm going to rally. You know what? People have done worse. I'll be able to run it. So uh, it, was, it was three or four laps. So I set my, uh, my bag right at the start-finish line with, with my gels in it and, and whatever food I was going to eat. Get around the first lap and my bag's gone. I'm like, okay, well, guess I got to do something else. So I grabbed a couple bananas at an aid station and kept running. And uh, about a mile later, I see my wife and she goes, hey, I saw you left your bag sitting there, so I put it in the car for you. <laughs> <laughs> no! You know, just to say, just to illustrate, you know, stuff goes wrong, right? In our life, in a race, and you just, 
you can keep moving. You can keep pushing on. You can you know things are going to get better. That's a, that's certainly a mantra in in ultras. Is you, you hit a low point, you're going to hit a low point in every ultra you run. Maybe two or three at different times. But if you keep moving and you keep working fo- and moving forward, you're going to you know you're going to pull through. Skies are going to clear. The sun's going to rise again, and things are going to get better. So I think that's probably you know the the biggest thing that I've learned from ultras. You know, anytime something gets really, really hard, I go, you know, I run a hundred miles. I can do this. You know, how hard is this going to be? How long is it going to be uncomfortable for? I can deal with it. And it becomes a way of life. I love, if nothing else, Ben, the perhaps marital latitude you just gave me. Cause I figured that there are times where my wife wonders, everybody has seemingly has a new pair of shoes to be able to go out for a run or a walk in, except for me. And gosh, I did it again. I took it for granted. I need to make sure my wife has a good pair of shoes because hers she's had for a long time. Your wife is a communications expert. So the fact that you guys did not communicate that that bag was supposed to be left at the finish line and she took off with it makes me feel just a little bit better that even with my own potential acumen, it doesn't mean that it carries over into the household all the time. So good. Good for Adrian to have picked that thing up and made things harder for you. That's right. She just wanted to make sure I could survive, make sure I could push on through. And let me say, too. Um, our communication between me and Adrian in the last six months is better than it ever has been in our marriage. I mean, you know, living apart, but still, you know, living together and, you know, having her a part of the family and involved with the kids has really forced us to, to communicate on a whole different level. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time on Skype, you know, or FaceTime, or we have Zoom dates, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, but, to to have that separation, but still work to, to keep each other, um, kind of involved and, um, you know, just to keep that connection going, it, it takes some work. Um, but it's caused us to really, uh, communicate better than we ever have. Kind of cool. That, I was going to say, that's awesome. That's a silver lining right there. And I really do believe there will be blessings that are found with this coronavirus for a long time afterwards even amidst all of this tragedy and difficulty. And perhaps it'll be decades before some of us realize what some of those blessings are. But my goodness, there's one for us as an example. Ben, the reality is, is it's not like you've just been back with your feet up, going fishing with your son, drinking beer with your friends and trail running. Although I have to admit that you now have compared your comment about, I love all the new breweries on the West Side Beltline and the fact that you're missing out drinking wine in the Alps. I think you might have <laughs> oversold the breweries on the Beltline a little bit if that was going to be the comparison of how you would have otherwise spent your summer. But you're well, not just kicking yeah. back, learning what is new in Atlanta or reconnecting with all those things that you loved before you left. You've been working, and quite frankly, you've been working on a lot of what is the front line of what's going on, not just here in our community, but really around the country, perhaps in some instances around yeah. the world. Seeing those photo credits again with Ben Gray, 18 years with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, obviously now doing contractor or freelance work but i think once again from conversations we've had since you've been back that your fitness your running has helped not only prepare for the work but make sure that the work is not done until you say it's done because you have the longevity to just keep going why don't you give everybody an understanding of some of the things that you've been doing recently that they would say i get it they need someone like ben there to capture what is going on And then I'm going to ask you to kind of connect how your fitness, how staying true to what we call a pedestrian active lifestyle has now served you well beyond just a hobby and being a runographer. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what I've done in the last, you know, month and a half has been covering this real pivotal um, social historic moment we've been in with, um, you know, the George Floyd and the Rayshard Brooks killings most recently, Black Lives Matter movements, you know, and all the um, protests and unrest, you know, the different levels of that that have been happening uh, in Atlanta. Um, So, uh, you know, I've really felt um, how important it is to really document this. You know, I think about uh, the photos that came out of the civil rights era, um, and I think we're we're in another very similar era now, and it's it's very important to have that visual documentation of what's happening. you know, not just for, for in the moment, for now, 
so that we know what's happening, but uh, for in the future also. So, you know, I've been lucky that the, the AJC has really, you know, hired me a lot to cover this. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, my time of, in the Middle East certainly prepared me well for this. My, my previous background as a photojournalist, my time in the Middle East, you know, kind of in a, in a conflict zone there and being around um, tense situations. And then, uh, you know, my legs. I mean, quite honestly, one of the editors told me at one point that they needed somebody with some legs because the, the protests may go 12 hours. And um, there were days where they would march, people would march six or eight miles, you know, and that's not the end of the night. And um, not everybody can, uh, can easily do that and not feel, you know, worn out from it. And, you know, covering a march that's that long, I'm not just marching alongside the people. You know, I may be trying to get up and ahead of them, you know, and shoot them as they're coming towards me, and I may leg back towards the end, and then I got to speed walk up in front again, you know, and drip and sweat and all of that. But that, for me, wasn't a big deal. I mean, a lot of those days that I would I would do that, you know, I may have, I probably got up and ran six or seven miles in the morning, you know, <laughs> just my normal morning, you know, showered up and then went into work and then uh, you know walked six eight miles more. Uh, covering the protests in the evening, so uh, certainly being uh, being fit, having strong legs uh, helped with that, and allowed me not to focus on on how I was feeling. You know, I was able to focus on making the pictures and and seeing where the the emotion was and what moments I needed to capture. Um, so the, the the fitness just kind of allowed that part to drop into the background and uh, and not not distract me. Um, you know, I think. Being active and, and, and moving has, I've always been antsy and, and needed to move around. Um, you know, when we were in Jerusalem, we had a car, but we were walking upwards of 50 miles a week because most of the time we walked to do our grocery shopping, we walked to work, you know, we walked to the post office, we walked to the stores. Um, we only took the car if we had to. And really, traffic there was worse than Atlanta, if you can believe it. Um, so, it was as little as possible. Um, so I, I'd be running, and then on top of that, all the walking. Now, I haven't been doing nearly as much walking in Atlanta, so I've been trying to, you know, up the running a little bit to, to make up for that and keep my legs moving. Um, you know, I guess it's just, it, it is a lifestyle, and it's, um, I just feel so much better if I'm moving. You know, I sleep better, I, I have more energy. Um, I feel younger. I'm I'm 49 years old, but honestly, I feel like I'm 30. So, except you know, occasionally I reach to get something out of the back of the car and you know, like throw my neck out a little bit, or or you know, my shoulder goes out. But that's that's fine. That's old age, I guess. But otherwise, I feel great. Well, and it really is about being able to do it as a lifestyle, right? And you and I share so much, including that number of 49, D2 has bypassed yeah. that next marker. So he is leading the way for us. Five zero, right. not so bad, right, D2? Uh, well, I'll, I'll say that, you know, the the crick in the neck and stuff, that, that does come up uh, every once in a while. You know, the tightness of the calves, uh, that does right. still come, come up. Uh, so <laughs> a little bit of stretching, a little bit of rehab and uh, preventative stuff is is what keeps me going right now. Well, and, and looking at some things earlier in preparation for this conversation, again, I would st strongly encourage everybody to go to bengray.com. He does such an awesome job, a generous job, quite frankly, of bucketing or categorizing his photos. And certainly there are photos that are part of this movement that he just mentioned. And checking that out is worth your while. Ben, knowing that we've had conversations recently, D2 and I have talked about it a little bit further back. For those of you who have not listened to the last couple of episodes, would certainly invite you to the episode where D2 and I had Black Men Run, Joy Tribble from the Plus Strut, our friend Courtney from the Vibe Ride, black-owned businesses and recreational black athletes together to talk about a number of things, including what it's like to be a black citizen, a black athlete, a black business owner. And now seeing the other side of this story in pictures, not just in words, is so, so powerful. If you don't mind, Ben, maybe give us a sense of what maybe we couldn't understand without 
being there. And as someone takes us up on that guidance to go and take a look at these pictures that you've so generously provided us for, gosh, I believe generations, what are some things that even looking at those photos, we might not understand or be able to feel without you retelling what it was like to be there and to snap that photo at that time? Yeah. Um, before I, before I get into that real quick, I was just thinking, you know, about, um, speaking to the whole movement, how much the, the Ahmad Arbery um, killing really hit home for me. Him being, he was out running, mm. you know, he was in a, in a neighborhood that wasn't where he lived. Um, and thinking about why I fell in love with running, and that was the exploration of it. And the fact that in Atlanta, I feel like as a white man, I guess, that's a large part of it, I can run anywhere I want, and I've never felt threatened or intimidated or felt like I had to um, worry that people saw me and thought I was doing something I shouldn't. Um, and to think that not everybody has that privilege and that ability is, is really hit home for me. You know, that was a, a real, something that really, really affected me, I think, because, you know, if I didn't, and didn't fall in love with running. I mean, that's just a huge part of my life and a huge part of my ability to, to deal with stress and to, um, to manage that would, wouldn't be here. Um, so that's, that's, uh, I wanted to, well wanted said. to mention Thank that you. before I forgot. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you know, the, I tried in the photos to really, um, capture the, not only the, the facts of what was happening, you know, not just a, a, a straight documentation of X, Y, Z, but to show the emotions that people had and the, um, kind of the feeling of, of the moments that I was in. And I think that's, uh, something that's really important. Um, you know, the, there was so much frustration, um, that it boiled over in people. And it wasn't about, I think people, sometimes people um, miss out on, it's not about one thing. You know, the focus was on um, the George Floyd killing at that moment, or the, the Rashad Brooks killing at that moment. But it, it's a much bigger picture, and it's a much deeper wound um, that we're seeing people react to. Um, you know... I have never, you know, I've always been one to think, well, I've, and I've said, you know, okay, I protest, but, but why do you have to destroy things? You know, that's not, that's not part of a protest. But you know what I felt this time, and I'm not advocating it, certainly, but what I, what I did connect with a little bit is, you know, I've had times where I was just so angry and frustrated that I broke stuff. Usually it was my own thing, you know, I smashed something. It was just, I was just so upset. And I, I could feel that in the people. I don't think it was, I mean, I think that's what was happening. They were just so, it had endured to the point where they just, people were kind of snapping and they just needed, they had, they released. Um, so I think if you, if you look, try and look at the humanity in the people, and if you try and put yourself, um, think about what they might be going through when you look at the pictures, um, I think you'll get a better sense of, of what and the why. Now, like I said, that's not saying that I'm condoning it um, or justifying it, but I, I think that's where it was coming from. And I think if we understand that more, we maybe we can uh, figure out how to move forward and, and get to a better place and, and, and uh, solve some of the problems that we have right now. Well, the pictures that are on your website and that I know that the AJC has are incredibly powerful, and, and I'm sure that there's just no way to even sense the full weight of what you could sense while you were there. And yet at the same time, you know, Ben, having known you as long and, and your family, you know, I know your wife is black. I know, mm -hmm. obviously, your kids um, are fully reflective of having, as you said, a white man similar to yeah. me, you know, as their dad and obviously their mom as a black female. And not to make this sensational, but to make sure that I recognize it's personal, what would you say, if anything, maybe after four years away from Atlanta has changed 
in this city or is there anything that outside of how cool it is to be around the Beltline that you and I rode and ran when it was nothing more than an idea or a gravel path or quite frankly still the crusher run from the railroad tracks and yes the breweries are cool and yes some of the things that are going on that gives this city the wonderful energy that you already mentioned but outside of that what would you say that maybe has changed looking at it through your personal lens is there anything that has more to do with the heart and the soul of Atlanta than it does the physical structures or what's now paved that wasn't, or quite frankly, what's no, here no. today that wasn't however many years ago. Well, I think um, the only thing I can think to speak to with that right now is uh, from my experience covering all the, uh, the protests. And the thing that I saw covering those that I didn't see um, in the last, in the 18 years I worked as a staff photographer was that the protests were very, very diverse. I mean, it was almost a 50-50 mix of black and white. I mean, it was really, um, it seemed like there was a lot more community-wide support or outrage and, you know, protesting going on. Um, I think you can see that in the Black Lives Matter signs I see in yards in what are predominantly white neighborhoods um, and in the suburbs. And we had protests in the suburban communities and the smaller, you know, much more rural communities. And that's something that I never saw happen before. Um, And I think that shows more of a, um, I think people are taking it more seriously. I think people are understanding um, the struggles that are going on a little bit better. And I think uh, there's a lot of people that, that really are wanting to, to make, make Atlanta a more inclusive place than it has been. Well, and I hope that that is true. And I believe, as you indicated through your images, that it needs to be that way. And yeah. for sure, taking a stand is not just perhaps overdue, but quite frankly, so necessary. And I want people who come back four years later, or perhaps maybe four months later from right now to sense that that type of progress not only is possible, but is actually happening. There's so much work still to be done. As we've indicated on this podcast, we believe this lifestyle can play a part in that because it does bring people together. We've said from the earliest of days, stereotypes are dead when it comes to running and walking. Race, gender, body type, age, whatever it might be that sometimes divides, maybe is certainly different. My goodness, those stereotypes have no place in getting it done, whether it's a trip around the block or whether it's 100 miles, like Ben referenced as part of his own story. Ben, I'm going to let you have the final word because obviously I've known you for so long. You, I know, have a deep sense of what Atlanta can be and whether it has to do with coming back to the city where you not only resided but also kind of put on display in a major publication. But also now with so many things different, perhaps the lens more emotional than actual of being someone who has seen so much, somebody who has been other places. What is it that you would say is kind of your guidance for us as we go forward, whether we're runners and walkers or whether we're runners, walkers, and citizens of a place that has an ideal state but can fully recognize that we're not there yet. You've been to places where strife and discord has been the case literally for millennia. You have a situation currently that you've already mentioned where there is separation and yet you're finding silver linings. With all that experience, with your understanding now, and certainly with your own commitment to staying fit and being committed to a pedestrian active lifestyle, what would you leave with us as your hope? for Atlanta and for all of us who call this place home. That's a tall order. It is. Um, And I apologize, but I have no (laughs) shame when you're on the line, my friend, I'll tell you. I mean, I think it's, it it sounds cliched and it's, it's, it seems so simple, but man, get to know people, be kind to them, 
say hi to them, you know, just just talk to them. You know, there there's really is no reason to have the divisions that we have in this country and to to be so insular and um, just mean to each other. We do that a lot here. And just to be kind, you know, it's amazing what you can learn talking to people who are different from you. I mean, you really just get to know them, you know, whether it's going for a run for them, with them, you know, wave to them, sign up for a race with people you never would run with otherwise, you know, um, just, just try and, uh, try and get to know people. I mean, I think that really, when you have a personal connection to somebody different, you can understand their viewpoint a lot better and you see things kind of from that 30,000 foot view and it's not us against them or it's not an attack on me, you know, when they say something I disagree with. So, I mean, I think that's really it. Gosh, I love that word kindness. So well said. Ladies and gentlemen, he is Ben Gray. Once again, bengray.com is a stop you need to make on your browser. You will not be disappointed. Ben, my only disappointment is that we're not doing in this, per- this in person, but I can tell yeah. you that disappointment will not stand, my friend. We will be together before long. First one is on me. And now, as a couple of 49-year-olds who still have their best years (laughs) ahead of us, I will tell you also there will be many more miles for us together in our future. Thanks for being part of this conversation, my friend. Hey, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it, and always a pleasure. Can't wait to get out and and, and talk more on a run. And D2, you got to get out there with us, man. Absolutely. You can count on me. He will. I can promise you that. We will be right back after this very brief message. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast. D2, man, have I missed doing this. This is so much fun being here with you, back together again, doing this. And to start off with a conversation like Ben, super cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, 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 I do not miss the the weird kind of connections, through doing everything through like GoToMeeting and just the, the, the more instant, instant kind of feedback. Sure from from these in law in almost in person uh, podcast well sooner or later we'll bring people into this crowded studio but once again it came up it will never perhaps not come up in any episode i don't know how many episodes in a row now we've referenced the olympic trials if nothing else that alone how many episodes not by design it comes up what an awesome host atlanta was to the olympic trials and of course casually with our conversation with Ben, it came up once again. Yeah, I think that's something that will always continue to come up. It's kind of like the, I don't know, maybe if like if you play high school football, you know, and it's like you always remember, you know, kind of the good old days. I think that's going to be our good old days. But <laughs> speaking of the Olympic trials, one of the things that came up, um, you know, so Jake B. Riley uh, from Colorado came in second in the men's uh, here that's in right. Atlanta. He, um, you know, he, he was kind of a little bit of a unknown, um, although many, I think, very who are familiar with them and in, in, in that running community um, thought he had a chance, but for many of us who never maybe even heard of him because he wasn't sponsored. And one of the things I remember commenting was, "Well, maybe not for much longer." And I and it took a little bit uh, longer than than I think it should have. But th- just this past weekend, he uh, did sign on with On. So On Running is now um, you know uh, sponsoring Jake Riley, and I think he keeps he yeah, he does keep his coach. So none of that has changed. He's just uh, sponsored by by On. And uh, a little side note is shortly after the announcement, and they had already kind of planned this before the announcement, uh, he went head-to-head with uh, Jared Ward for a little 5K kind of fundraising matchup. And it was one of those, because uh, there is there, there haven't been any real live, you know, running events. And this is one of those that, that was done live where uh, through Instagram, where Jake, who's based out of Boulder, was racing in Boulder and Jared is in Utah. So they, was, they were able to stream this live where both coaches were riding their bikes alongside and doing you know color commentary. So it was kind of exciting. And that happened on July 4th. So I came back from doing my 
you know, July 4th, 10K run and got on Instagram, was able to kind of see this in person. It was kind of cool to see both of them running and, and seeing live racing for the first time in, you know, since I guess the marathon trials. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of cool. That is cool. And certainly for those of you who have like, oh, I've heard that name, Jared Ward, make sure you check out an episode that was before the Olympic trials when we had him on. Don't have that episode number handy, but I don't doubt that you will be able to find it. Also relative to On D2, looking into the future of this podcast since we're back, feel so comfortable. Once again, we should keep doing it. On was a big part of a documentary Recently, the athlete refugee team story, they made their first appearance. That was the refugee team at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. That will happen again now next year, along with that full year that On will get with this new sponsorship they have. But this athlete refugee team will be in the 2020 games that are happening in 2021. They did a documentary so powerful. And we, as you know, we're going to talk to the director. We're going to bring that conversation to our listeners in an upcoming episode for sure. So we've already got some cool things planned. I'm glad we're back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I saw the film and it is very powerful. And to kind of see what these individuals um, have gone through and are going through, being separated from their families um, and being in countries where, um, you know, it's just, it's, they're not ideal conditions, but they're working hard, uh, to live this dream, to, uh, use running as a way to help their families and to, um, you know, get out of, you know, uh, those areas where, you know, it's, it's just not, it's not good. And, and I think it just, watching the film just makes you more grateful for, for what you have. So true. So much has changed since we last taped the Run ATL podcast, but some things have not. That includes our tenets to inform, to inspire, to empower, to encourage. That lives on, certainly, as we always say, as we certainly mean. May your best miles be those covered on foot. On behalf of D2, a special thanks to Ben Gray, Dingo, the podcast dog, and me, Mike Cosentino. We're signing off. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody.